If it's Sunday, then it's time to check in with Yaakov Katz for his always interesting take on what's going down in Israel. Just back from a quick speaking tour in Canada and the U.S., Yaakov is concerned about the mood among North American Jews who are typically supportive of Israel. They're asking tough questions, as they should, about Palestinian casualties and other aspects of the war. And their questions are not easily answered. But we save most of our airtime for Prime Minister Netanyahu and his lack of a plan for bringing our hostages home and his posturing about our national unity. Israelis are no more united today than they were six months ago, as street protests raged over judicial reform and other matters. Yes, October 7th was a brutal shock to this country. But as time passes, it is clear that we are united on the issue of survival as a nation, but not much else. And a huge problem is that the ultra-Orthodox population of Israel continues to be exempted from military service. This has always been a source of enormous tension in Israel, but it is now an urgent crisis that must be addressed. I'm Vivian Berkovich, former Canadian ambassador to Israel, now living in the magnificent state of Tel Aviv. Stay with us. Yaakov Katz, welcome back to Israel. Thanks for joining State of Tel Aviv for our regular Sunday check-in. It's great to be doing it back from the Holy Land. Isn't it? You yes, look it happy. Is. Then again, you always <laughs> look happy. Briefly, you had a good trip to Canada and the U.S.? I had a good trip. I can't say that I did not come back slightly concerned. I was definitely impressed. And I think we, you and I both know this well, how hungry Jews especially are in North America for a connection, for knowledge a link to what's happening here. But on the other hand, I see the damage that is being done by social media, by just mainstream media, how they're beginning to buy into the lies that are being spread around. We have a big challenge up ahead, and we shouldn't mistake in the, the, the close ties and support we have today with something that will last long term. Now you've really piqued my interest. Give me something a little more kind of substantive. What makes you say that? You're clearly alluding to some kind of chasm, division, lack of alignment between Jews in Israel and Jews in the diaspora, in particular, Detroit and Toronto. Look, Detroit and Toronto were two stops. I was in Florida and I was in New York and I was in Chicago. And I, I just, I saw a lot of where, this is all anecdotal. I didn't do a survey, but yeah, yeah. the feeling that I was getting was we're, we're falling into two things. One is this conflict is continuing. It doesn't seem to necessarily have an ending. People are having a lot of difficulty, as we are in Israel, and understanding what's the end strategy and what does victory look like, and they can't wrap their heads around it. They don't understand what Netanyahu is doing, similar to what you and I have difficulty understanding, so there's no news there. But, and here's the but, especially in the U.S., we're falling into the Biden-Trump world. And the more we fall into there, we're going to start to see the split along partisan lines. And if there's anything that's more lightning rod than Netanyahu in Israel, it is Donald Trump. And while there are people who support Trump, and you meet them in Florida as an example, most Jews, over 70%, do not like the guy, and they think that he is a disaster waiting to happen for the United States of America. Israel is there right now, and people are starting to feel that we are more aligned with Trump. That's why we're fighting with Biden. Everybody's starting to read some sort of commentary on what's happening. 
So I'm a bit concerned about that, but I'm also starting to hear people say, why are you killing so many Palestinians? Why are you guys? Like, those are some of the outliers, but they're there. And these are coming from Jews who support us. So we have a challenge. I don't think it's not taken for granted today. I don't think that we have people who support us. We should never take that for granted. I think that's true. Did the topic of the hostages come up much? Everywhere. That's like the number one issue for a lot of people. And what it splits into two. Just like it does here, Vivian. There's no nu nuclear science, physics science that you come up with that can solve this issue. There's two issues, right? And you saw them in polls that were taken last week, one by the Jewish People Policy Institute, one by the Institute for National Security Studies. Both polls asked simple question in Israel. If presented with the option of a deal with the Hamas that would release the hostages but end the war, or continue to fight to degrade and hopefully topple Hamas without getting back hostages, what do you Israeli people prefer? Over 60% of Israelis in both polls prefer to continue to fight Hamas, right? Now, in America and in and Canada, I, I, yeah. I met with a number of people who everybody asked, but two things. One is, how are we going to get back at the hostages? Everybody wants to know about the hostages. But number two is, when the rational kicks in, but isn't giving up prisoners and agreeing to a deal going to incentivize more hostage taking, which we all know. And what I tried to explain to these people is that this is the debate that we have, the argument that we Israelis have between the Israeli mind and the Israeli heart. The mind totally agrees. Rationally speaking, those people are 100% right. We are setting ourselves up for the next hostage taking. But the Israeli heart can't bear anymore having 134 of our people taken from their homes in their pajamas in, in, in the Gaza Strip, we just, we, we can't live like this anymore. And it's painful physically. So we have to get them back. And we know it's a mistake. That's the reality that we're in right now. We also walk down the street here and we run into their family members and their cousins and their friends. And we see their posters everywhere. And it's a much more intimate and connected feeling here. But, but you also see here, and I know this is part of what we want to talk about, we also see here the politicization of the hostage issue and how it has been, it's now become a political tool or weapon almost. Netanyahu, who's going for the Nitzachon Muchlat, the total victory, and keeps on repeating this stupid phrase. And we have, on the other hand, the hostage families, headquarters, supporters, forum, whatever they're called, who are saying, we have to make a deal right now. We need a deal. Netanyahu playing games with sending the Mossad chief to Egypt. They're not sending him and then sending with him a babysitter in the form of his uh, diplomatic advisor, Ophir Falk, who's actually a good guy, Ophir Falk. I know him well, smart, good. He's not a bad person, but he was sent there for a reason. And it's a question, what does Netanyahu really want? Netanyahu is trying to spin it, that he actually wants to put more pressure on Hamas to get a better deal. But at this point, I don't even know anymore. I'm confused like everyone else. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and suggest that Netanyahu doesn't even really know what he wants. Netanyahu is he, his whole his playbook is to survive another day, to fight another day, and it's about getting to tomorrow. So, do I feel that he has some really carefully thought through plan with respect to if how he may play the other side, get the hostages back, try to convey that he's working from a real position of strength and power? I don't get that. And I want to go to uh, his appearance last night at 7.45 p.m. on the Saturday night news talk. What would we Ask... do on a Saturday night without him in our <laughs> lives? No, seriously. 
What would we do? What would we do on a Saturday night? <laughs> those post-Shabbat news shows, people who don't live in Israel, you got to understand we're going crazy. We're 24 hours of withdrawal. We don't hear everybody yelling and talking and analyzing what went on. And so Saturday night, right after Shabbat ends, is a very exciting time for people like me and Yaakov. And we turn on the TV. And last night, it was usual suspects arguing about the usual topics. And then 7.45 p.m., which is unusual for Bibi. Bibi usually likes to come on at 8 p.m. right when the newscast starts. But he came on early last night, a little earlier. Tell the listeners about why you think that might have been. But what was his message, his main message to the nation? Israel. What did he have to share with us last night that was so critical? Truthfully, nothing, right? It's It was one of these other press conferences, not even press conferences, because although the, last night he did take questions, sometimes he calls them press conferences, he doesn't take questions. Last night he did, which by the way, the reason he started to take questions is he wants to fight with the media because that also helps him look good with his voters and with the right wing base. Uh, Pretty and- much every question he's asked in a press conference the last few months that gets asked a question, his answer is always, you just want to fight with me. I'm exactly. trying to, yeah, exactly. it's- I would say the big takeaways were three. One was the total opposition to anything that has to do with the Palestinian state. And we actually saw the cabinet basically issue a resolution today that also comes out completely against that rebuffing Joe Biden, who was trying to push for a Palestinian state after this war. The second issue was with regards to elections, where Netanyahu basically came out, shot out of the water. Anything that has to do with an early election, as some people are trying to hope that will happen as a result of this war. And the third, was the his beautiful talk of unity and we all have to come together again and all that kind of stuff. But really, it is more, if you ask me, it's more about the, he spoke about that. Yes, we have to have unity, but we also can't give into Hamas demands. And this is where he's trying to, as you said, I think he's just pushing off, kicking the can down the road on the decision that's going to have to be made about the hostages. He doesn't want to have to make it now because it could impact his coalition. So let's wait for as long as we can and see maybe some there will be some breakthrough. And sometimes that luck plays to his favor. And just to highlight, I, I felt it was a particularly petty press conference, the timing and the substance of the message he clearly wanted to convey, because he did it earlier than usual. And he did it Michlal, at all because he wanted to get ahead of what he knew was going to be a gut wrenching Saturday night on the streets of Israel and in particular Tel Aviv. We had um, the usual Saturday night rally in support of the hostage families and the hostages in Tel Aviv. Last night was night 134 of their captivity, and there are 134 hostages in captivity. And rather than every week at these rallies, which I attend frequently, they'll bring speakers who happen to be visiting from abroad. They'll bring high-profile people. They'll have family members. They'll have singers perform. It's a real kind of mishmash of stuff. Usually goes on for about an hour and a half and always very compelling. Last night, the program was just the families and family members from each of the families coming up for a few minutes and just saying a few words about about their loved one. And he knew that obviously that this was happening. He also knew that there was a planned demonstration outside the Kiryat protesting against the way the government has been handling this ongoing multifaceted crisis. And I think he just wanted to get out ahead and do his spin. And his spin last night was, 
I think it was overall unity. Don't talk about elections. Don't talk about our differences because we don't actually really have differences. We're all one. He really laid it on thick. And the fact is, we're not terribly unified. Oh. And talk a bit about the, the discussions that popped up last week about drafting the Haredim, the ultra-Orthodox no, no, we're, we're, the, the army. But that's he's trying to tamp that down. There's an illusion, Vivian, that we are united because of the war. The only thing that's happened... Is I never the, bought it. I never bought it either. The cannons have simply stopped shooting because there's real cannons that are shooting in the war. Exactly. And therefore, all of the issues, the Haredim not drafting, the judicial reform, the right and left, the division between secular and orthodox, everything is still there. It's there. And it's only getting worse. And I heard on the radio today, a Likud member, who said, no, the new draft law, we're, we convinced Netanyahu that we're only going to pass it for one year, and then we're going to come and revisit it in a year, and then we're going to get the Haredim. And I'm like, who are you guys kidding? Seriously? You really think that the one-year game is going to work again? You want to give the Haredim a continued exemption for military service. And I'm sorry, that is an abomination at a time that we have people who are dying in this country, left and center, all over the place, from all over the country, except from ultra-Orthodox cities. And I don't want to be counting bodies where they come from, but it's stark and it's it, that that they're not coming from B'nai Brak and Kiryat Sefer and Beitar Elite. And they're not coming from the Haredi cities. It's time that those people start to carry some of this national burden because this can't this kind of game can't go on for much longer. But Netanyahu, of course, doesn't want that to be the conversation because then he'll have to make decisions that will endanger his government. Here's the thing, and this has to be said, he is prioritizing without any doubt in my mind, his political survival over the prosperity of the state of Israel. I'll give you one, just one other example, which is so out there, it's what the hell? And, and this has to do with the Israeli Arabs. Let's think about this for a moment. In 2021, there was the guarding of the walls operation, okay? Israel operating in Gaza in a lower intensity than now. We had riots in all of the mixed cities, in Akko, in Haifa, in Jaffa, in Lod, in Ramla, you name it. People were getting lynched, killed, both sides. We were worried that in a new operation, it would blow up the whole country, right? You would have roads blocked by Arabs. Suddenly, for somehow, we're 135 days into this war so far. Things are quiet with the Israeli Arabs. Why? Amazing question, right? I don't know the answer, but there's this is something to look into. And it's something to say to yourself, hold on. Two million of my people who I thought were a fifth column we're going to riot. They're not rioting right now. Why is that happening? Maybe there's an opportunity for us to do something to bridge divides, to bridge the gap, to better integrate two million people into the country. This is a perfect opportunity for it. Do you see anything happen? Any talk of that kind? Any outreach? Nothing. Zilch. Zero. Why? Politics. Politics. This is against the interest of the state of Israel. It's totally against what is in the interest of this country. And we are all going to pay the price as a result. And that's just one small example. A week from now, Yaakov, when we reconvene, do you think that by that point Israel will have begun its intensive assault on Rafa? Rafa is extremely complicated because of all the displaced Palestinians who are there. And it, it, I think we need to operate in Rafa. That's my opinion. I think that we can't end this war without a ground offensive there to take out some of the Hamas infrastructure, particularly the tunnels along the border with Egypt. It has to be done. 
having so many displaced Palestinians and civilians there it makes it obviously extremely difficult. Will we have a plan in place that can move them in a week from now? I'm not sure. And I also am suspect that the whole Rafa idea is being floated as some sort of leverage or pressure on the international community to put pressure on Hamas to strike a deal for the hostages as well and to give everybody kind of some way out of this whole thing. So mm -hmm. we could be closer to Rafa. And we could also be closer to a deal that pushed us farther from Rafa. So a week from now, we'll have maybe a better sense, which way are we going? And uh, you spoke about politicizing the hostage issue. You spoke about a babysitter being sent to sit with David Barnea, the head of the Mossad at the negotiation talks in Cairo for release of hostages. However, really, they're not really negotiations because Israel's been downgraded by Bibi to uh, observer status. Last week, he made the decision and announced the decision that we were walking from the table. Israel was walking from the table. We were not going to negotiate and engage because it was a waste of time, because Hamas's uh, demands were delusional and so strategic, like crazy out of the question that there was no point. And he made that announcement, of course, without even give, giving, having the courtesy to tell Gadi Eisenkot and Benny Gantz, who are two key members of his war cabinet in advance and who had been participating in some of these negotiations, direct humiliation, which was, I'm sure, his intention. But then he came out when called on it and said, well, it was just, there was nothing to talk about. They can't be surprised. I wasn't humiliating anybody. I was just like stating the obvious. What was his little maneuver there with Gadi and, and Benny, do you think? I think he wants them gone. Right? Yeah. I think that's what it is. I think he's had enough of having them in the government. They become more of a a burden or than an asset at the moment. And he would like to try to push them out. They are, for the time being, staying in, which politically, I think, might be a mistake at this point. I think they're getting to that cutoff where they're going to have to decide what they're going to do. But let's also remember, they want to try to continue to steer things in a direction. But Netanyahu feels like he doesn't need their help anymore, that he's got it under control, number one. Number two, the moment that they pull out is likely the moment that we'll start to see the big protests erupt in this country. And right. Netanyahu didn't want that a few weeks ago. Now, politically speaking, I don't think the protests are bad for him. I think the protests actually serve him. And people have to read the polls in the right way. The polls are not that bad for Netanyahu. They put him at 18 seats. They put Benver at 10 seats. That's 28 together. But that's Netanyahu before an election begins, before he starts saying that these are left-wing protests, before he starts right. doing all the, the tricks and shticks that he's known for. People should have patience. Where's Smotrich yeah. at in the polls? He's, according to the one that was taken over the weekend by Mariv as an example, he doesn't even cross the threshold. So Ben Veer got his, his cookies. All right, Yaakov, going to be quite a week. It will be. We'll catch who up knows what com Who knows what's coming, but I know it's never a dull moment. And we didn't even talk about that brilliant rescue of the two hostages, but can't do everything. It was brilliant. That much we can all agree. Yeah. 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 Still get, will give us shivers forever. Thank you so much. Have a great week and talk to you soon. Thanks, Vivian. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the State of Tel Aviv and Beyond podcast. We'll keep the dispatches coming as frequently as we can. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment, rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can check out our full library of articles and podcasts at our website, stateoftelaviv.com. 
State of Tel Aviv is an independent media venture, and we rely on subscribers to support our work. If you are not yet a paying subscriber, please consider taking the plunge today. Each person really does make a huge difference, especially in these very challenging times in Israel. It is important that you stay informed and current and seek out a range of perspectives. This is a pivotal moment in Israeli history. It is not a time to be passive and disengaged. Thanks for sticking with me to the end. I'm Vivian Berkovich, signing off from deep inside the state of Tel Aviv. <laughs>